Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. A small change to my guest this morning, Cornelius Lyser, who's with me now. Cornelius, welcome. Well, I'm pleased to you're here as well, having heard your lamenting about uh, low fuel gauges and, uh, and things like that. Uh, very, very striking this morning that, um, that uh, whatever Phil McCann <laughs> said on BBC Breakfast that people aren't panicking in the northwest of uh, England. In the southeast of England, I'm not sure that's entirely the case. Well, and uh, you'll be surprised if you do go out after luck on Sunday at the queues at the garages. Be sensible, everybody, for goodness sake. Well, it was very striking last night. Chris Dixon went one way from Newmarket. I went the other way and we compared notes after we've been driving for about two hours. I said, I can't find any anyway. He said, oh, it's fine up here. Up every single, every, clearly proof that those of you north of the wash are much more sensible and plugged in than those of us in the south. Uh, but but uh, the, the star of the show, though, Phil McCann, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I was tempted to ring Weatherbiz on Monday morning and just just book the name for a, for a horse at some point. I think he'd be a, it'd be a great name for a horse at some point, wouldn't it? it thrust him into the limelight as well. Yeah, he could never have thought such nominative determinism was going to strike so powerfully. He said on BBC Breakfast this morning that somebody was overheard on a train or two people were overheard on trains discussing whether it was his real name, <laughs> <laughs> whether they did, the BBC had invented his name specially for it. And that is indeed his name. It reminds reminded me of uh, years ago I had a, a burglar in my house and uh, the policeman came round and his name was PC Constable. Constable Constable. <laughs> I said, where you're going with I, this. I said, uh, presumably you can't wait to be promoted to Constable Sergeant. <laughs> and uh, it's to well, Sergeant Constable even. <laughs> <laughs> Ruined that story, haven't I? Uh, and uh, he looked at me. It was sort of eight o'clock in the morning. He looked at me as though he'd heard that about 43 times already that day. But uh, no, there are a few... A few uh, appropriate names around. Nick Luck, lucky guy. A bit, well, indeed. Um, a bit like when Tomo used to say on every morning line, are you feeling lucky, big fella? <laughs> did he, he always said that to you, yeah, did he? always. He still do. does. Yeah, all right. Anyway. And are you feeling lucky this morning? Well, I'd have felt luckier if I'd backed yesterday's Cambridgeshire winner, Bedwin Story, and taken the advice of the aforementioned Chris Dixon, because the horse duly obliged Cornelius at 40 to 1. As it was the Cambridgeshire Festival, it seems like the appropriate place to start before we get into all the Group yeah. 1 goodies, because this was a, a, a bit of Spencer poetry, and you can see him all good old Finn Blue take a, a real good hold of the horse at the start and make a premeditated move to ride a waiting race. And just, just looking at it there, despite, what was it, 10 non-runners, 26 runners, still a fabulous spectacle across Newmarket Heath and uh, Jamie Spencer on uh, the winner just enhancing that uh, spectacle. Uh, and I suppose we would describe it, would we, as uh, classic um, Spencer-type stuff. And so if you're on, uh, I, I suppose you were anticipating a slow start, weren't you? So uh, you're, you, there, there is no form of panic or uh, concern at this point. You just wonder how it is going to uh, work out. Uh, two, two groups, 
commentators uh, are so impressive, aren't they, when they, uh, when they call the Cambridgeshire in these two... Did you have to call these races? When you were working for Five Live, did you occasionally have to call a Cambridgeshire? Not, not the Cambridgeshire, no. John Hunt was always the, the Cambridgeshire person. But I just love the way that they jump from, from, from one group to another. And, uh, and then you're, you're wondering whether something is going to appear from absolutely nowhere, which is exactly what is going to happen in this particular case. I didn't think it was the strongest edition no. of the Cambridgeshire, particularly. Uh, the Not early... necessarily the weakest. It was, a, no. it was a good, solid heritage handicap, wasn't it? Uh, and uh, sort of slightly lessened by a, 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 a glut of non-runners. I mean, there were yeah. ten of them. I was end. half anticipating some of them were going to be transport problems, but they were all about the ground, I think. Here, here, uh, here comes the winner. And... Um, Still, you know, half a furlong to go, and you're still not entirely convinced. And yes, but in the end, it is going to happen. A clear length, and Anmar. You're going to talk to Jamie in just a second, but a real that that punch of the air. I, I think he joked afterwards, didn't he? I was, I thought I gave it a good ride. I was congratulating <laughs> myself, but it was it was magic to see. And Jamie Spencer has some detractors, has many fans, and they'll have been jumping up and down with delight at uh, at seeing that success. It's been a very productive week for Godolphin all round. Anne Mark was second, Amethyst was third, and that was a and for a, Spencer and Godolphin, yes, yeah, which we will come to yeah, come um, to in a few and, moments' time. And uh, striking that he hadn't actually ridden, I don't think, for Saad Bin Saror since 2017. Is that right? And so supposedly, well, you'll hear it from him in a, in a second. Supposedly, he said to uh, he said to Saeed on the heath the other day, "Hello, <laughs> I'm still around," <laughs> and uh, he ends up on that horse, and um, and the rest is, as they say, history. Well, Jamie's on the line now. Jamie, it's a good job you're reminded, Saeed. Yeah, good morning, Nick. Um, yeah, no, so actually I was, I was, um, I was given uh, Eve Lodge a blowout and I was w just waiting for her to come, come down Warren Hill and Saeed came over and he even said to me in the paddock before the race, uh, lucky you bumped into me. Um, <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm still alive, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're alive and kicking by by the looks of yesterday. I was I, I, that was the first time I'd seen a proper replay again just now, and I was quite struck by how determinedly you you really wanted to anchor Bedwin's story in the early stages. It wasn't just that he flopped out of the stalls. What was your what was your sort of mindset going into the race? Um, obviously, Frankie's ridden the horse a lot, and Pat Cosgrove he's one side of me, and Frankie's the other side. Pat's ridden them a few times as well, and they both said that he. He can be tardy from the gates, but uh, just let him warm into the race. And generally, after halfway, if he's in a good mood, he'll you know grab hold of his bridle and go forward from there, and you know, just take the race as it comes, really. And I, I suppose you, you're under relatively little pressure. The horse is an outsider. There's sort of one way to ride him in in a sense. But um, given the way the racing had panned out the previous two days, where they weren't really coming back. Could you have been confident that you could get through them? Well, the previous two races, the Meadow Park and the Chimney Park, yeah. obviously they, that showed that the, the track was running a bit more forgiving <clears throat> due to the watering, I'm guessing, the night before. It just slowed up the track a bit because they watered, I think, from the Farland Pole to the three poles. So that's generally where the hottest part of the races are. So you're going to pay for it at some stage, I guess. And what, what's your... What's your thinking when you're riding a horse like this who clearly is a little bit quirky and has sort of ideas of his own? Are you just trying to get him to enjoy himself and relax early on? Yeah, let him, let him relax and then, you know, just 
you obviously try and spend as least amount of energy as possible and and you know hope when you give them a squeeze wherever at a half mile pole they, they come alive underneath you and you know it was a bit of a puzzle but look I was under no pressure it was a 40 to 1 chance and like he's, he's got talent and sometimes if you challenge them they can they can come good for you you know for, for every time that, that horse has won yesterday I've got about 40 that haven't won and I, I was quite intrigued that it was your first ride for Saeed since, since 2017, but your association with him and Godolphin goes back way further than that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I worked for Saeed for two years, second jockey to Frankie, um, before um, Karen McAvoy then came after me. Um, yeah, no, Saeed is great. Um, obviously, I had good days with Godolphin and worked there. Um, and it's fantastic to see them. As, as a whole team doing doing so well this year um and it's, you know it's interesting that the balance you know this it's not the whole racing game isn't being dominated by one side or another everybody seems to be winning so it looks good wanted to ask you about your ride on castle star for for fozzy stack <coughs> he didn't get the absolute clearest of of runs at every stage of the race but could you have realistically called yourself unlucky um uh the way the race panned out, obviously, when you when you start coming stand side and you're on a hold up horse, you kind of, you know, the 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 percentages are against you when you're when you're on the fence. But I got a, a reasonably good run through. I followed Armour for a good while, then I got on the back of Asymmetric. I just needed a little bit of room between Asymmetric and and Adam Kirby's horse, and it just took me probably three or four strides to get through that gap. And to be fair to the winner, he did it the hard way. He came down the outside, and you can take nothing away from him. But I wouldn't mind having another go at him on a different race course. Do you think you're pure out-and-out pace? There's something very taking about the way your horse goes through a yeah, race. Yeah, I was, I was, I was half pacing. Considering how fast we were going going into the dip, he was half pacing behind him, and Sumian was flat and boards on the outside, but. He was having a clear run and his horse was building up into, you saw what he did in Deauville, the, the, his finishing power. So maybe he got a little bit outpaced. Well, I, I felt my horse was a quicker horse, but just needed it a bit earlier. But yeah, it's, it's racing, isn't it? It's, it's sometimes frustrating, but um, I think Castle Star is easily a group one horse. I think he proved it yesterday, the way he, the way he cruises through the race and make a short winter for Fuzzy and his team. They brought him there in, in great spirit. That's good news. An exciting sprint to follow next year. I want to ask you about Belmont Park last weekend and, and Yabir, who went from not looking you know, massively cooperative <coughs> to suddenly wheeling around the field and winning incredibly impressively. Just just tell me about how, how this felt for you. Um. Yeah, it's, it's strange when horses have hoods on. They kind of you need the you need the hood for the first three quarters of the race, but you'd like <laughs> it to disappear when it comes to the business end. Yeah. Sometimes it, it, it disorientates them and they kind of get like really dozy on, with them on. And, well, obviously it's doing what it's meant to do, you know, keep the horse calm. But obviously when you wake them up, or I didn't think I was going anywhere. But then when I passed one, he just he, he absolutely flew and yes. Yeah, you know, nice ride to get. Obviously, he had a light weight, so James Doyle couldn't ride him, and William was here um, in the UK. So, yeah, you know, they're spare rides, so they're hard to come by. But they're, you know, you have to make them count when you get them. 
I, I, Charlie was saying, yeah, he he got his ticket into the into the Breeders' Cup turf. The sort of feel he gave you, you've ridden in that race enough times. Do you do you think he'd be he'd be up to competing in that? Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, um, I think you know, I think he's better than he showed in that race. I just think um, the hood kind of had a sort of a good and a bad effect on him. So I didn't. I think if he didn't have the hood in the last. Like half a mile, he'd absolutely hosed up and one by miles. I'm guessing. I, I guess we need that where, where the the French used to, the, 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 had it on Westerner, didn't they? Where they had Westerner, the earplugs yeah. in with the same effect for the first part of the race, and then they used to yank the earplugs out with the furlong to run, and the horse would suddenly take yeah. off. Yeah, something like that. But um, no, it's, it's good. He's a, you know he's a very good horse. That, like when you think, to, to imagine having Adiar, Hurricane Lane, and. Throughout the season, they're cleaning up all the mile and a half races, um, and this for like kind of on the reserve team. Uh, Jamie, I wanted I wanted to ask you because you know you're a you're a proper observer of the, of the game as well as participant. Looking ahead to to next Sunday's arc, if you could have your pick of any ride in the race, which would it be? She'd have to go with Dermot Wells, Philly. You know she. she she was, you know, she only obviously only just got beat at Leperstown. Ground would have been quicker than ideal, it was a trip shorter than ideal, and she's going into a race off a light preparation. hasn't been hammered all summer in the big races. She's, you know, she's lightly raced, and I thought she was deeply impressive when she won her first start of the season. And and, and I don't think her effort at Leperstown took anything away from that either. Um, you need a lot of luck. The draw is a big factor. Um, Sumion's riding her, so is there anyone better around Longchamp? So I guess Everton's in, in her favour. And we're going to talk to Christoph Sumion just in a in a few moments' time. And before you go, Jamie, it's been a, a great week for you. What's the plan for the winter? Where are you going to go? Generally, as an unpaid groom, that's generally my my job, and I'm not at the racecourse <laughs> these days. And financial controller of every now and again. <laughs> so that's um, gonna, that's going to carry my on. Job. Yeah. That's generally it. But my input is not. That's that's where it ends. I get to hold the ponies and say well done every now and again, or say oh, that wasn't too bad. Well, and this is for your daughters, Chloe and Ella. And I know that you and Chloe and George Scott won the the show, team show jumping at the at the Newmarket Open Day last weekend. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> I was basically like um, a bit of cheating, really. We the best ponies. But it was, yeah, it was good fun, and there was a great turnout. And, um, for for the for Newmarket weekend and uh, open weekend and um, yeah it was a bit of fun. So if Castle Star is a Group One horse and a genuine Group One horse, we were convinced yesterday, if we needed convincing, that Perfect Power was most definitively a Group One horse of a, of a slightly different nature, and you can see why, given his finishing effort, that Richard Farhi was half now leaning towards giving him a, a spin in the Dewhurst just to see whether he had a, a 2,000 guineas horse potentially mm. on his hands rather than necessarily a sprinter. Uh, his pedigree might not necessarily suggest it. He's already outrun that. He's at the back in the all-yellow colours. Yeah, and on a very good day for, for Sheikh Rashid, the Dalmokal uh, Maktoum. Uh, so... You know, the, the, this was this was classic Sumion, really, wasn't it? You've you've got to really, when things don't work out necessarily how you're anticipating they will, uh, you've you've got to think about plans B and C, and that's what he's doing. He's still uh, there at the rear of the field, um, 
Now, what are you, what, what, what are you fancying at this point? The, the uh, green colours of Zo Dr. Zempf, worth keeping an eye on there, and also the uh, Al Shukab colours just behind. But, you know, look at Sumio at that point. If you if you've thought that Perfect Power he's won the morning, he's going to come and uh, complete a, a famous Group One double, you're not entirely convinced, are you? Richard Fahey himself, the winning trainer, said it wasn't until the very closing stages, and there he is. And look at the blanket that you can throw over the first. He still won what half a length, maybe even three quarters of a length, but you can throw a blanket over those uh, what seven of them in the very closing stages. But those who thought in the pre-morning that perhaps. Um, you know, he, the horse had won at Royal Ascot. He'd been beaten at Goodwood, a bit luckless there. Uh, that they'd won the morning, but could he really follow up? Well, he is clearly, uh, as Sumion said afterwards. You know, he's a champion. He's one of the one of the out, outstanding horses in Europe at the moment. Uh, morning, Chris, morning, Christoph Sumion. <laughs> morning, everybody. Um, what sort of feel did this horse give you yesterday? How good is he? Um... Uh, I had two feelings with him. One, uh, when I get down the start, when he was a bit fresh and tried to to, to go a bit fast down the start. Uh, but finally, after a few hundred meters, I could uh, calm him down. And uh, arriving to the stores, he was really professional, uh, like he was in Deauville. Um, he looks to be uh, yeah, very confident. Um, yesterday, he jumped out the gate quite good. Unfortunately, uh, all the horses were beside me uh, didn't go uh, in the middle of the track. They all go to the to the left side to the rail, and uh, I didn't have another chance, uh, a choice to to go to the rail, to the fence, and uh, bring him back. Um, after a few hundred meters, I saw we are a little bit far back, but uh, the pace was good, so I knew that he was able to accelerate if he was um, relaxed uh, at that point. And uh, the good thing with him is that uh, he can follow any pace. Um, and uh, he can really accelerate uh, really strongly. Did you feel like he'd improved significantly from the pre-morning or not? Not really. Uh, if you look the form with the other horses, uh, he did uh, approximately the same kind of, uh, of result. Uh, but um, yesterday, I think it was a much difficult uh, race, uh, especially about uh, the track. Um, when I came to the downhill, there was a part of the track where... He stumbled twice. Um, it was probably like three furlongs out, and um, he lose balance completely. But uh, hopefully, he's not a big, big horse, so he finds his uh, his balance again, and uh, he quickens when uh, the uphill came back. But uh, no, he did a great performance again. Uh, it was not easy to make up ground. I, I looked the race again uh, yesterday uh, night, and uh, I saw that uh, the horse from Jamie uh, Spencer, even uh, from the back. He did a great race. Uh, he finished just beside me. So finally, uh, the horses yesterday in that race uh, could finish a bit. Uh, it was not the same uh, in the races before. But with a strong pace, he was able to, to come back. You know exactly what a, a Guinea's horse feels like. Do you think this horse could, could get a mile? I don't know really what it is because, uh, honestly, I never win the Guinea's. So uh, <laughs> I can't say exactly what you need but uh for sure the, the but you i mean uh, listen you've you've ridden enough yeah, top class milers and I, I, you've ridden enough yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly i see a lot of guineas horses uh, able to to win 2000 meter um and maybe sometimes going over to go to to the derby i know it's a uh, uh, a british um, specialty in france to be never go from from mile to mile and a half but uh, in UK you can see it much more often 
Um, but yeah, uh, depends who's gonna race with him. Um, how will be the pace? How will be the draw? The good thing is that uh, he he's relaxed when he's covered, um, and he's able to to accelerate. Um, I'm sure on seven forum he can still do the same kind of performance. But yeah, on a real mile, uh, it could be a little bit different, especially if the ground is a bit uh, softer. But anyway, um, like. Uh, Richard said, the trainer, there is not a lot of uh, choices because the program for for this kind of horses on six to seven furlong for next year, there is not so many races. Um, I think they will decide uh, in the next few days uh, what he will do before the end of the season and then for, for next year as well. Um, but yeah, the thing is that physically he's not very big. Uh, he looks more like a, a sprinter, but um, we never know. We'll see. Christoph, the two uh, Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe victories on uh, Dalakani and Zakava, I'm sure, are victories you will treasure forever. You have a strong chance of landing another one in the silks of His Highness Diaga Khan next week on, on Tanawa. Uh, just, just tell us why a, a third victory in this race would mean quite so much to you. Because, uh, like for, I think, uh, all the jockeys and horse racing lovers, uh, this is probably one of the biggest races in the world, and for myself it is, so uh, it's a really important uh, race. Um, I have the best feeling in my life uh, because I won this race twice with the best horses I've ridden, and uh, you need to have a superstar to win this kind of races, even if some years the races are not always at the same level, but uh, yeah, this year it looks to be a a great race again. Um, it's the hundreds, uh, uh, pretty like the Triumph. So yeah, uh, it's a historical moment. Uh, but even if it's the 92 uh, or the 61, uh, the arc is the arc. Uh, Funky the Tory can tell you about it. Uh, even Lester Pigot, all the biggest jockeys from, from around the world, love to win one day that race. I was lucky to to win it twice, and uh, yeah, I won it uh, twice for His Highness uh, the Khan. So. Uh, for sure, it's a very lucky uh, position that I have to, to be able to ride his horses. Um, and um, uh, this year, yeah, Tanawa is targeting uh, this race with uh, the staff and Mr. Demmer well. Uh, he, he prepared a filly just for that, that race. And I think uh, everything uh, was going on plan perfectly. Uh, even if last time she, she get beat uh, uh, in the Irish... Uh, Champion stakes. I think the distance was probably a little short for her because you could see the whole race she was a bit off the bridle, uh, but she finished really strong. And uh, probably if uh, St. Mark Basilica was going straight, they finished a little bit closer. But uh, it's a great preparation race. I think in the last um, 10 years, we see so many horses doing well in the Irish and winning the Arc. Uh, so, yeah, why not? Uh, it's going to be a very tough race. I think we're going to have a lot of runners. Uh, I really like uh, Charlie Appleby's horses. Uh, they look really strong. Um, because for me, the arc, if you have a really good three years old, you have a, a, a big advantage with the weight. And um, it's always very difficult, especially in soft ground, to, to make up ground and giving uh, a lot of weight. But uh, my feeling is she's a superstar. Uh, there is nothing to say about her on a bad way. <laughs> the only thing I can say is that sometimes she gives us some, uh, some stress in front of the gate when she doesn't want to go in. But uh, that's just for two minutes. But for the rest, she's uh, very honest and uh, she's um, amazing uh, the way she can finish her races. Christoph, thank you so much for talking to me. Best of luck next weekend. Thank you so much. Have a good day, guys.
Uh, we might have seen um, a very, very good uh, horse yesterday in, in Perfect Power, ridden by um, uh, Christoph Sumio. Um, but we may have seen two even better two-year-olds than him, and one of those could have been Tenebrism, who won the Cheveley Park Stakes in a faster time. For Ryan Moore, Aidan O'Brien, uh, in the colours of Westerberg, George Von Opel, one of the uh, partners in the Coolmore operation now, um, slowly away, came to the rail, got a lovely split up behind Flotus, and just under mild urging from Moore, made up the ground smoothly to win going away. And it was, it was one of those races that you watched... Then you wanted to rewatch and re rewind the rewind uh, the tape and just see exactly where from where she appeared. Um, she was she was magnificent, wasn't she? Mm. And uh, the the closing stages. You know, we had a number of races at Newmarket yesterday, which could have been a sort of what happened next type moment. Something looked as though it was uh, going to be successful, uh, and uh, then something else appears. So even at this point, two furlongs to run, 400 metres to run. You know, what, what, what are you thinking? That you can see more as spotted uh, what, what's, uh, what's available there. But, um, you know, with um, even entering the very closing stages. But look at the way she starts accelerating now. Now you're wondering, my goodness, uh, she is finishing very fast. Uh, half a furlong to run. Is she going to get there? Uh, the, those on uh, Flotus are wondering as well. And look, she wins sort of going away in the end, doesn't she? Very so a, a really striking uh, success. Uh, striking for in the in these colours, Caravaggio, uh, Caravaggio, um, who is clearly uh, a, a, a new stallion, uh, which is uh, well. Here is here is the point that he's making a, a really big impact, made a good impact anyway, and um, yeah, that was a really nice performance. Mm. And so so there was a lot of well, the lads will have to decide what we do next and uh, where we go next. I, that, what was striking. Was it the 28th of March? Uh, when uh, 28th of March, yes, mm. which was her last run. So from the 28th of March to the end of September, uh, she, she's come out and done that. Now, Aidan's inevitably saying, well, you know, we'll, we'll have to be a little bit careful here because we've had the big gap. We've come and done that. We don't want to go to the world too quickly again. The lads will have to discuss it. Mm. But that was a, a really striking uh, performance. Uh, and Caravaggio... Do you remember that? Well, I suppose that blistering speed that yeah. he showed, Commonwealth Cup, Flying Five, various uh, performances, and uh, she's inherited a lot of that uh, real good quality. Yeah, there were many layers of significance to this victory. The layoff, the sire, the damn immortal verse, and also uh, the ownership. This was the reaction of the trainer after the race when speaking to Lydia. There's only one of these Phillies races in the year, and we knew if we missed it, like we weren't going to get it back. Um, I suppose our big thing is she settles very well and, and quickens very well. Very, very clear-winded. Um, uh, Ryan gave her a brilliant ride, um, but she's very exciting filly, obviously. And she has what her dad had uh, when when Caravaggio was right, his turn of blistering turn at all. I remember when he won an Ascot the twice, like he really is able to quicken, and that's what they, they seem to be able to do. So it, it's a Listen, it's a very important thing in a horse too, and um, no, delighted in Lydia really. Did you have a little hiccup with her early on, or was she just growing? What happened? No, no, she didn't. Uh, she was a little bit off after winning in Nace, a little bit off in front. Uh, we didn't find anything, couldn't find any problem, but she just wasn't uh, trotting level, and uh, we had to give her time. And, and it took, it was nearly, it was two months before she came back level, and then when that happened, and we started, the lad started her back driving. Um, 
and uh, she slowly built up. Uh, Shane was delighted we were coming here. David rides her every day, uh, does a great job on our way and rides in our work. So, um, no, sure, listen, she's a very exciting filly, really, lady. To do what she did today off of the off where she was in the race, mm. off of the break that she had and the, the, the amount of experience she had. So, um, no, listen, she's very exciting, very really. Very much so. Are we likely to see her again this season? I, obviously, the lads will make that decision and whatever they'll decide, we will do. Um, so, really, what will happen is, I suppose, we, she'll go home and see how much the race took out of her and then... Uh, and then I suppose we could see and I, I suppose they, they could go to the Breeders' Cup with her or mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. that because like all she, the speed would really suit her mm-hmm. there So and she would have a nice gap between now and then like obviously when it's so long after running her first race to be pitched in in a race like this it might take a little bit of time to recover but if she if she recovers and, and she's well and, and, and uh, their lads are happy to do that and if that's what they think we should do that's what we, we might do Clearly, if you're contemplating the Breeders' Cup and her mum was a great miler, you yeah. must be thinking of her in terms of the Guineas next year as well. You have to. You have to. Like, even though she can quicken very well, you have to think of the Guineas because she's so relaxed. Mm. She, she's not a, a filly that'll blast off and want to get it over with quick. So she's very happy to go asleep and, and then she's able to pick horses up. And She did the very same thing in her maiden in very, very heavy ground. So, um, And like obviously, like you said, her mum was a brilliant filly too. You know, So mm. she's very exciting. Really. Very exciting. Very exciting she is with that very good pedigree out of immortal verse. It was part of a vintage crop of Milers in 2011. Cornelius. Yeah, well, the, the double, the Cheveley Park 1,000 Guineas double was mm-hmm. achieved by special duty in 2010. I was just going to, uh, a big honourable mention for, for, the, for Flotus, uh, that uh, Flotus had this big reputation early on, then the reputation just got a little bit tarnished, then back at Ripon, and then another fine run there. Huge run. And huge, uh, you know, huge thoughts with, with, the, with the trainer, uh, with the Ed and Simon Crisford, and with the owners and with punters as well, because they, you know, you thought you were home and hosed, and then, oh my goodness, Look what's happening. And the rematch is on. Yeah. Because it looks as though both fillies might head to Del Mar for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf. Which that well, that's a very exciting prospect. Just there's just quite an quite an exciting squad of horses beginning to, to work themselves together for, for Del Mar, isn't there? Certainly two year olds, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of two year olds. Yeah. And you know, maybe people are discovering it's uh, you know, as as uh, regulations become a little bit e- a little bit easier, probably not massively easier, but a little bit easier. You know, that the thought that three months ago you'd have been going yeah. to Del Mar would have been out of the window, but now it seems more realistic. The only thing I'd say that the the two long two year old races are still a mile. They are still a mile. Now I know it's tight bends, two turns, sharp track, and everything else everybody tells you about Del Mar. The distance of the race is still a mile. You've still mm. got to gallop that far. And that's a lot that's further than what happened yesterday. You've got to take that into consideration yeah. when, you're, when you're betting these races, that's for sure. It was a very good five minutes for those silks, the George Van Opel Westerberg silks, because they struck with a horse who's now leading most markets for the derby. This is a horse called Luxembourg. There you are, the maroon and blue, being pulled to the outside by Shamie Heffern and in the Beresford Stakes. This, of course, was the race won by See the Stars many years yeah. ago. Yeah, and look how... Look how green this horse is, how the, in, the experience of going to the races uh, will have uh, done him no end of good. Does he hold his head a tiny bit high? He's got that trademark sort of manger, slightly yeah. proud head carriage, hasn't yeah. he? He's by Camelot. Yeah, but he's ended up putting a, a huge, a, a considerable amount of daylight between himself and, uh, and the runner-up. And as far as um, the, the, owner, the owners are concerned, or George Von Opel in particular... You know, uh, the Santa Barbara news this week is uh, he's part of Santa Barbara, was part of Santa Barbara. Uh, tragic news that that injury ended up being uh, 
um, a, a fatal uh, injury. And uh, high definition this year has not exactly worked out in the way that uh, sort of six or eight months ago it would have been anticipated mm. it would. So now uh, Luxembourg uh, and indeed the, uh, the Philly are really getting all, all yeah. very exciting for, for those particular colours, colours that are not that familiar to, to those of us who observe the Coolmore horses on a regular basis, but uh, uh, I think uh, everyone predicting they're going to become more and more uh, familiar. Yes, I mean, remember when you first saw the Derek Smith colours, the yeah, maroon and absolutely. white for the first time, and suddenly you saw them on everything. I yeah. suspect you'll see plenty more of the, uh, the maroon and blue next year. This is what Shamie Heffernan thought uh, of Luxembourg. Shamie, very interested to get your thoughts on that performance because you're not someone who tends to get carried away. How impressed were you by this fella today? I am. It was around this time last year, I, I rode Santa Barbara and she gave me a, a good feel. He, he gave me an impressive feel. Oh. Um, series turn of foot, usually good ones, relax, canter down into them and turn it on, and that's what he done. He, he's exciting. He was quite well tired before he won at Killarney. Had you had a sit on him before that day at all? I did, yeah, and I missed out because I was suspended. Uh, Mick Hussey rode him and said he couldn't have won any easier. But Killian rides him out said he had plenty of class. Anyone who has ever had anything to do with him said he'd got plenty of class, so he's backing it up at the track. Aidan Often obviously targets a good one at this race. I know High Definition won it last year, didn't come up to scratch ultimately, but the fact that he put this fella by since then, I suppose, potentially significant. How had preparation gone before today? Did you come here confident? Ah, yeah, sure. Aidan knows where to aim them and when to have them right, so he gave me confidence and... Uh, you know, I was very, very confident every step of the way. And he quickened well. And we, we had a very good winner in England today by Carabaggio. Philly, I won. And so, listen, some of them will disappoint. But the, the good ones, if you can mind them and nurture them back, you can aim them at the top and they can hit. And, Jamie, was that your plan, to just sit out the back and arrive late on the scene if you could? Yeah. Yeah. He was a steering job. I was happy to be on board. And it was very impressive, no doubt about it. How do you see his future He's obviously not short of speed, this fella, but is he more of a middle-distance type next Yeah, uh, he's, he, his dad was a, was a good staying horse, but had pace and class enough to win the Guineas. So uh, he, if Aidan wants to run him in the Guineas, he'll change his galloping procedures, and if he's targeting the Derby, he, he'll go a different route. The turn of foot he showed to me today was pretty exciting, so I, I'm not sure what he's going to be targeted at, but he couldn't have done it any easier. And he's quite a big horse as well, and I'm sure still a bit of furnishing to do. Does he feel like a well-balanced colt, though? Yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's a fine lump. Sounds like he's got all the attributes to go a long way. And Shamey, you mentioned Tenebris in there. I presume you saw the Chiefly Park, did you? Um, not yet, but I fancied her. She's a filly that beautiful Caravaggio filly early in the spring was showing plenty in one, and then she got a bit of a hold-up. And it was probably touch and go whether she'd run again this year, but I, I think she came behind pretty quick, and he was happy enough to let her go. So it, it's, it's brilliant that she's a Chiefly Park winner. Yeah, and you can see why the racing post have uh, headlined this morning that uh, Aidan O'Brien's getting his you know, guns firing in good time for the arc, where he will run Snowfall. And Frankie Dettori today has been confirmed as the rider for love in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe as well. Let's take a look at perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, even though he was not even a, a runner in a Group 1 race yesterday and didn't win a race yesterday, the best two-year-old we saw. Just putting it out there, Caribus in the, well, dear, oh, dear. This is the Royal Lodge. Here's Caribus, son of Dubawi, in the Royal Blue, William Buick. And you went from hailing this horse as the next Frankel to saying, what on earth's happened here? Keep an eye on the, the lighter blue colours of, uh, of Highclere, Masakela, just behind that one. So, you know, we are beginning to hail this horse and uh, work out 
well, what, what, what the path is going to be to glory. And then you think, well, Royal Patronage is staying on quite Oh, my goodness, he is staying on. Look at it. And close home, that happens. Now, William Buick, uh, well, William Buick's, um, uh, well, everyone will acknowledge that he went too soon. Now, was it his fault to go too soon? Of course, of course it wasn't his fault to go soon. The, the, the horse is going so well. These are the type of horses that he's used to riding who deliver on those occasions. And then the lack of experience just probably in the very closing stages meant that he was probably a little bit lonely out in front and that other horse was able to come and nail him. I don't think... Uh, I, 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 actually, to be fair, I haven't been struck that a lot of people have been very critical of William Buick. The usual suspects, of course, have. But I, I think well, he was that, being quite critical of himself. Well, I'm sure the night. usual suspect. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, you know, it will be debated. He will he will go over it over as as all jockeys and indeed all athletes, all sportsmen and women should do on those occasions when things have gone from grabbing uh, grabbing defeat from the jaws of triumph. Then of course you've got to analyse it. And if he could do it again, he would do it again. And those people who backed him would love to love for it to happen again. Probably will at some point, and um, they will stick with him and. Um, the last thing I saw at the end of the racing TV coverage yesterday was you and uh, Chris Dixon. Uh, I think Chris was saying, "I'm tempted to have a couple of pounds on for the uh, for the for the guineas." Well, he was sixteen to one at that point, and I think that's that, that's a, a, a very nice type of price for a very nice type of horse who will. Well, he was so so impressive in defeat there. Joining me now is a trainer who has had a very good couple of days. Go Bears Go was just edged out of proceedings in yesterday's middle part, but may still be bound for the United States. And a day previously, Hello You had given him Group 2 success in the Rockfell Stakes. He'd first given notice of his considerable talent, particularly with two-year-olds in last year's Princess Margaret Stakes when he saddled two of the first three home. He trains in Shropshire, uh, and he has been successful all around the country, soon perhaps, He'll be successful all around the globe. He is Dave Lochnan. Dave, good morning. Welcome to the show. Nick, pleasure to be here. And fair to say things are, are rising pretty rapidly for you. Yeah, um, a lot quicker than we probably ever anticipated. Um, I've said it many times, myself and Sarah always felt we were capable of competing at the top level, but um, you need the horses to do that, and thankfully we're getting that opportunity now. You mentioned, Sarah, you are very much a team, aren't you? Massively, yeah. Yeah, look, it's... Uh, it's my name on the license, but it's the both of us. Um, I joke I play with horses. She runs a business. She does the the hard side of it, but she works in the yard day in day out, and she's a sounding board for me. Um, she's assistant, like you know, that's the reality of it. She she um, has a massive say in the in, in the whole operation, and um, yeah, it just it works. Let's talk about the success you've had over the last couple of days. Um, because I know you'd like to have won both races. We'll come to the Middle Park in a moment. But uh, hello, you in the Rockfell. How important was it to you that you did well with this filly, given the fact that you'd taken her over from another trainer? Um, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's important to do well for us with every horse. Um, Ammo have been a great owner to come to us and given us a huge opportunity with some very high-class horses. Um, I was delighted for the team and, and, and the owners, but I was probably happier with for her. You know, she, she is a high-class filly, and we've been adamant she was a group performer in a group, capable of winning a group race, so it was wonderful for her to um, to just be able to achieve that. Um, I, I'm 
I was over the moon for her as, as a horse. You, you know, she deserved that win, and to do it so decisively was was um, was very pleasing for us, and got a great kick out of it. I mean, she's she's been a filly who's been been quite an enthusiast through her races, sometimes to her to her own detriment. Yeah. Have you had to put quite a lot of work into her to get her racing kindly for you? Yes and no. Um, she's an absolute saint at home. You know, she she's she's anyone's ride. She doesn't turn a hair. Um, when she came to us first, Ross had said to me, you know, she needs a ring bait and you need to get her to chill out. And I'm thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. She's a pony. Um, so we took her to Wolverhampton for a race course gallop and the second she came off the box, she just set a light. Um, her first run for us was in the Lowther. She was quite hard work before the race. She really got lit up. Um, again, good with the last day. She got quite worked up in the prelims. Um, so... Yeah, we, we've tried to, you know, do different things with her to get her to relax and obviously the hood and the ring bit have helped, but yesterday I felt, or sorry, two days ago, I felt everything just clicked. You know, everything just happened as it should happen. She took the whole prelims really well and hacked down the post and she never lifted a hair out of the gate. So, um, no, it was great. It, it allowed her to show what she was capable of doing and what she showed first time out from Wolverhampton. Mm, that's right, and you're, you're running her at seven furlongs as well and she'd been running shy of that earlier in the season and yeah. she actually relaxed quite well and, and finished off really strongly. So the American dream is alive with her, for sure. Very much so. Um, obviously, America is a place that's very important to Key and very close to his heart. He spends a lot of time there. So, um, you know, he made it clear very early on when she came to us if she was good enough, the Breeders' Cup was the plan. And um, I, I see no reason now why we wouldn't go. Um, I believe she's a guinea source. Um can we go Breeders' Cup, give her a break and come back for a Guinea's trial? Yeah, loads of time. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to freshen her up now and, and very much so put uh, the, the Phillies turf race in the Breeders' Cup on, on the top of our agenda. If I'd said to you 18 months ago, you'd be sitting here now talking to me about a horse who'd probably be in the, probably be in the front three in the market for that race, for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf, what would you have said? Um, I don't know. Genuinely don't know. Um always felt we were capable of being in a position like this, but probably never believed we'd be here. Um, yeah, happy to be there, happy to be in the position we're in. Um, but no, would I have believed you if you said it 12 months ago, 18 months ago? No. And what's been the key, do you think? Opportunity. Um, making the most of what we had. Um, we moved into Hellshaw Grange five years ago this week with seven horses and our best horse was rated 53. Um, we won with every one of them, and it's just progressed, and it's just snowballed massively since then. You might be joined, or hello, you might be joined on the plane by Go Bears Go, who, who ran another, a very gallant race yesterday in the middle part. How did you leave Newmarket last night? Please, frustrated, both? Um, I left her thinking we had two guineas horses on our hands. Um, hindsight's a great thing. Looking at it now, I think we probably should have gone to Dewhurst. Didn't think it beforehand. Um, he was always a very strong traveller in his previous runs. He didn't travel as well yesterday. And he probably didn't, arguably, didn't travel as well in the Phoenix. Um, looking back now, I would say he just was so professional for his first three runs. He was just one step ahead of everything else, and that's why he travelled so strongly. Um, he's progressed into a horse now that looks like he's going to be a far better three-year-old. 
So do you think he deceived you early? So you almost think he deceived you into thinking he was a, a rapid whiz-bang two-year-old who would just go fast, and now you're thinking, well, hang on, he's a completely different type of animal. Yeah, very much so. Um, I suppose after his first two, three runs, you kind of get to that stage as a trainer where you're questioning, will he be, is he just a two-year-old or will he train, will he train on? Um, I didn't know the answer for the first first kind of part of his career. And that, after the Phoenix, I very much so we gave him a freshen up and I came away from that thinking he's going to be a better three-year-old. Um, I trained his half-brother the year we started training in Earth Drummer and he was a horse that needed quick ground and the, and the whole family got better with age. So we always felt he would get better with age if he trained on and um, I believe now he would be a better three-year-old. So you've got two Guineas horses, mm. hopefully. You've got, you've got two Breeders' Cup horses. You've got a big, powerful owner in Keir Jarabjian. What's he like to train for? Fantastic. Um, Ammo Racing are probably changing ownership and racing to a degree. It's very much, if we win, we all win. If we lose, we all lose. It's a team. He's, you know, He comes from that, obviously, the football background, and, and they're very much bringing that into racing. Um, They've put us in a very nice position and they're great to work with. Um, we're very lucky. We have a fantastic bunch of owners and make my job very easy. And that sort of aspect of squad rotation, I mean, there's horses that, that Ammo own, that Kia own, that have shifted maybe three or four trainers mm. during the course of their, their careers. Do you think it's just a different way of looking at the business rather than saying, oh, I don't like you and I do like yeah. you? It's just a different way of doing things. Yeah, of course it is. Um, what works for me with a particular horse doesn't mean it'll work for someone else. Mm. And what doesn't work for me may work for someone else. So it's, it's, we've always kind of worked off the fact that we train each horse as an individual. I suppose as an owner, he's doing the same thing. How long do you think you can maintain that ethos? If you grow and grow and grow, so how many horses have you got at the moment? 70 horses mm. on the books. So if you had 150 horses on the books, could you still train in the same way, do you think? No, I won't have 150 horses on the books. We're not going to get any bigger. Um, we've said from day one our whole ethos, our whole kind of model and business model that we set up a long time ago was 70 horses of the highest quality. Mm -hmm. um, we've always said the best owners, the best staff, the best horses. Now that doesn't mean the most expensive horses are the owners with the most money. It means the people that are in the sport for the right reason, that you know really enjoy the sport and want to progress and, and continue progressing. And... Um, we have a wonderful team at home um, that allow us to be able to train the way we do. Um, I still ride every day. You know That's a huge part of how we do things. I like to try and sit on everything in the yard once a month if I can. Um, we have brilliant staff, we have brilliant riders, but at the end of the day, when we send a horse to the races, if I've sat on that horse before it's ran and it doesn't go to plan, I can hold my hands up and say, look, my fault. I, I don't want to... I don't want to be in a position where I have to blame someone else for something for no reason. You know, I'll I'll put my head on the line, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, I'll hold my hands up and say it's, that's on me. Um, I'm very much about I'll walk the walk and I'll talk the talk, and I'll, I'll I'll put my own opinion on the line. So you've got seventy. You're full. If somebody wants to send you a horse tomorrow, you have to make room. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, there's always room for a good horse. Um, 
we've got a couple of very good people, um, Stuart Ross, and we've started using Alan Crichton, kind of breaking in and pre-training. And, you know, we've always got room for expansion in a sense that me and Sarah spent a lot of time in Australia. And a huge thing in Australia is horses are pre-trained elsewhere. So we've always got that option. If we've, like, we, we've 70 on the books, we don't have 70 riding out because we've horses on brakes and ready to go for brakes and you know so we probably have 50 riding out say so we always have room for more and then if it's a case where we get offered more horses we can put horses into pre-training they're getting ready to run they're doing the light work getting their base fitness in and then once they're ready to come into us they come into us and it, it can kind of you know we can rotate it in that sense but you've got your business model and 70 horses makes a profit and it works yeah um we're six years training. We don't come from racing backgrounds. We're, we don't come from massive amounts of money or anything. Um, we don't have a debt, a credit card, a loan. Our business is paying. Um, a lot of people say racing can't pay and we're making a pay. That's probably down to Sarah and the way she runs the business. But um, we are making a pay and we're, um, we're seeing profit year in, year out. But that's not what it's about for us. It's not about the money and, you know, after Go Bears Go won the railway and went for the Phoenix, people were like, oh, God, the, the, the £125,000 bonus must be huge for you. Yeah. It's not about that. Like, we love what we do and we do what we love and um, it's easy to go to work every morning when you, when you enjoy so much what you do. We get paid to do our hobby. You know, that's the reality of it. We're in the, in my opinion, the greatest sport in the world and... quarter of a century has passed since one of the most notable achievements anywhere on any race course in the world. That was Frankie Dottori's Magnificent Seven at Ascot when Ascot had the Festival of British Racing and the QE2 was the centrepiece of the card. Not just any old card. Uh, 25 years on, Frankie Dottori. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> now, every winner you rode over the last couple of days, you, you marched up the weighing room steps announcing to everyone, I'm 50, you know, I'm 50. 50. <laughs> oh, 25 years. Time flies, does it? How vivid is the memory still? Uh, yeah, I went through the, the day with somebody, or journalist, and I remember most of them bar race five, faithfully. I don't remember anything of that. Probably because I was and the shock after winning the first four. So you, you actually didn't remember a single frame of that race, just you were in a complete Nothing. trance? Oh, of, course, of course, I watched it and I watched the, the films, but completely blank, blank, amazing what, what, what uh, things, emotion does to you. Uh, this, this is a, a really interesting image, actually, because you just see, look at that grandstand at Asker. It, it, there is... There is not a single bit of room in there. It is absolutely heaving. Can you just give me a flavour of what it was like atmosphere-wise that day? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, when, I went, when I went out at race seven, uh, and I, the, 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 the stores were in front of the grandstand, the two-mile race, I got a standing ovation. I mean, I, I don't think it's ever happened before that. You get a standing ovation before you even race. And it was amazing. And, and the aftermath, you know, obviously when I crossed the line, uh, every jockey congratulated me, and I walked back. I mean, there were people on rails, on on every everywhere, a sea of people. It was incredible. And even afterwards, an hour after, I, I got interviewed by Julian Wilson, 
and I was looking up, you know, where, where he used to have his, uh, his booth, his BBC booth on, on, his, on the first floor. You could look down a bit. I mean, the sea of people, and it, it was mad. Uh, and obviously, look, I didn't realise what actually happened. I'm still under shock. And But the aftermath afterwards, um, the, the newspapers, the news that bootmakers lost 40 million, and I mean, it was crazy. And up to this day, 25 years on, I have people coming up to me, thanking me for all walks of life. I paid their mortgage, I paid their holiday, I paid their wedding. and they, You know, it's amazing, the, 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 the great stories that came out of it. And your own, your own life was, you know, off on a pretty exciting trajectory anyway, but after that, how did it change? That immediate year after that, I mean, now people would, would, could, wouldn't be believe the sort of TV programmes you were on and, and what you got up to. <laughs> No, we, 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 no, it was a great opportunity for racing and myself to, to push racing as forward as we could. And then I was asked to do all sorts of things, from morning TV to Top of the Pops to um, Parkinson, everything. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was try, I was trying to push racing as far as I could, something then great that I achieved and, and racing should be proud of because... Most of the times when race is, is in the news, it's not a, a race fix, you know, doping or blah, blah, blah. And it was an opportunity for me and, and my sport to, to, to promote it. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, I thought I did the best I could and I hope, hope I, I helped the sport. And, uh, you know, we, sometimes we have to celebrate uh, great moments in my sport. I mean, looking back on it now, what was the most unusual, craziest, enjoyable <laughs> thing you had to do? Well, I would say top of the post. Top of the Pops was pretty mad uh, to present that. <laughs> a little Italian jockey presented Top of the Pops for his Nikon uh, um, TV program was pretty remarkable. Well, as I said, every winner you've ridden in the last week, you've managed to shout to everyone that you're now 50 years old. Uh, I had the pleasure of your company in Canada last <laughs> weekend. Three grade one wins, all for Godolphin. Godolphin yeah. winners... 111, 12 and 13 for you at the, at the top level. Just tell me a little bit about the significance of that for you. Well, you know, I didn't, the, you know, we left in a little bit of a sour grapes and it's nice to come back and reconciliate and, uh, and it's, you know, for me, it's uh, going down memory lane. You know, I did 18 great years with the uh, Dolphin and I'm not far off from 1,000 winner. I'm talking about 40 left so uh, it's been a big chunk of my career and you know uh, Charlie's and Saeed and they've both been great to me you know it's, you know, it's going back to memory lane really so it's been a, a very exciting weekend you were there to see it and uh, I enjoyed it yeah I, I was I was sent specifically to cover the Frankie Dottori show yeah correct well you were <laughs> wrong you told me you were going to write four winners only did three sorry <laughs> <laughs> I was I was just trying to get get you revved up, but I could I could sense you were in the zone. Yeah, look, I had some good rides, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was it was it was a fun trip. And the the rest of this autumn is is shaping up nicely for you. You've picked up the ride on Love. Am I right in the arc next weekend? Well, it sounds like it. That's what I read in the paper, and uh, <laughs> I, I suspect that uh, you know G, um, Ryan is going to stay on Snowfall getting all the allowances as a filly and yeah there's a lot of uh, she needs no introduction she's a great filly and very exciting uh, 
if the arc is a special race, like Christophe said, he's been very kind to me and I can't wait till next Sunday. And it is 31 you've ridden in, isn't it? 31 ridden, yeah. Hopefully 32 by Sunday. And it would have been, and but for breaking your ankle before, before Trev in 13, you'd have gone uninterrupted in 32, yeah? 100%. I started when I was 17. I was peacemaker for Kayazi for the Aga Khan. That is nuts. And uh, I've been in everyone since, so it's a pretty remarkable achievement. I mean, of all the things you've achieved, and we talked about the Magnificent Seven, that's got to be pretty high up there, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, 30, 32 hours this Sunday is crazy really, when you think about it. But a lot of the jockeys in the wheel would have been born. Yeah, well, um, you're, you're going strong. Um, it's great. I've no doubt you've got the winter well planned. Yeah, uh, obviously I'll be we'll seeing the Breeders' Cup and, um, yeah, there's all sorts of going on. It's Bahrain and then obviously I'm probably going to spend uh, the winter in Dubai again like I did last year. Uh, for, mainly for Saeed, yeah? Most importantly, I'm going to watch the London Derby today, so up the arsenal. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. People who know better about these things tell me you might need it. Yeah, probably. Thank you. Cheers, Frankie. <laughs> Bye. Frankie Dottori, he's off to watch the, the North London derby. And I, he was he was tempted, I think, to go down to the Joshua fight last night. But he think he thought that was one bridge too far. Probably, <laughs> mm, a, good, probably yeah. a good decision as well. And I think there's a book and a film this year as well. Um, because he said there was going to be quite a lot there is a film. Of, uh, of media. There's a film and made a by book. the same people who made the AP McCoy film. Exactly, Nick Ryland. Uh, which has ended up, I think, being because of Covid... Uh, they they were stopped, and I think they've ended up doing an even longer period. So got an even they believe an even better film uh, than they would have done otherwise. And uh, I think there's another autobiography or biography or no, it must be autobiography coming out as well. Yeah, he said to me the other day about the film. He said he'd seen the sort of pre-screening. He said he he cried twice. I said, well, if you only cry twice, that's you know that's, that's mm. pretty good. Mm. And I said, what did Catherine think of it? He said she she actually thought it was okay. She didn't so, cry at all. Though, so didn't. so. <laughs> I think that's too... Where, where were you on that day in September? I think the anniversary is actually on Tuesday, isn't it? Uh, September 1996. Were you there? I was there. Yeah, I went I to a there. wedding. Uh, and a friend of mine, Jonathan Ledyard, who's celebrating his 25th wedding anniversary this weekend. Uh, sorry, I couldn't go to the party. Um, they, uh, he, he came in and he spotted everyone in the room who likes sport. So he came in, he found an Arsenal fan like Frankie, and he said, oh, you're getting stuffed 5-0 by whoever made that bit up. Uh, someone else like Rugby Union supported Exeter. You know, Leicester are beating you by whatever. And he came over to me and said, well, you like racing. You know, Frankie de Torre's won five of the seven races. He's won six of the seven races. <laughs> I said, oh, don't be ridiculous. Go away. You're making it up. But, of course, it is one of the great feats of the last quarter century. Well, I, the reason I was there was I went with a fam, family friend of ours. I think I'm, I'm, I must have just left school, I think, yeah. I just left school. Yeah. Um, it was before I went to America, end of 96, and um, went to watch her horse running in the international, you know, the 30-runner job, yeah. seven furlong race. Big handicap. And Frankie had ridden the horse a few times and won on said horse a few times, right. including the Coral Sprint Trophy at York. Yeah. And I think she was a bit disappointed right. that Frank, Frankie wasn't running because I think he had the choice between the two yeah. and jumped on decorated hero. God, just so, imagine. Just imagine. Yeah, exactly. This finished up the track. But that is really striking. And Top of the Pops doesn't have the profile in Britain in, in 2021 that it has. It doesn't, 25 it doesn't exist years. anymore, does it? Does, does it, it possibly? Uh, Funny if I just Googled it. It does still have an executive producer, but uh, you hardly ever uh, ever see of it. But in the 19, uh, in that sort of period, 
Top of the Pops was absolutely enormous. So for racing to have a representative uh, there in front of all these millions of people. Mm. So it was a, a very proud moment for Frankie, as he said there, but a very proud moment for British racing as well, that this extraordinary achievement uh, could could be achieved. And, you know, we, you talk about his association with Longchamp and the Arc de Triomphe, which continues next weekend. But uh, even more so, you know, every time you actually just see him walking into Ascot, big smile on his face, says he feels a couple of inches taller. And every time I see him at Ascot, I just love to see that and takes us back to September 1996. Yeah. I, I, we started the whole conversation talking about the anniversary of the Magnificent Seven. For me, riding in 31 arcs, I mean, you're the only one you missed. Be, yeah. yeah. And he would have won as well. Yeah, the the, the one he missed yeah. would it be thirty two. Yeah, I mean that is amazing. Going right the way back to the nineteen nineteen well, eighty eight. Yeah. Do you know who trained his first um, first runner? Well, if it was a pacemaker for, for Kayazi, yeah, Luca trained Kayazi, but it would have been an Aga Khan owned horse, presumably trained. So by... therefore, you're saying it wasn't trained by Luca. No. So would it have been trained by Alain de Dupre? No, wrong country. Okay, so would it have been trained by John Ox? Wrong country. Would it have been so? It wasn't trained by Luca. No. Um, right country. I'm, I, I hope I'm right about all this. I'm Michael, sure it was well, it would have been Michael Stout then. Fult would it? Johnson Horton. Fult Johnson Horton. I think you'll find it was Fult Johnson Horton. Really? Yeah. If I'm wrong about this, I've really made myself look a massive clown. Oh, you shouldn't call people clowns nowadays, should you? Uh, but uh, um, but uh, that's a I, thousand I think, pound fine yeah, for you. Yeah, absolutely. But I call myself a clown. Is that all right? Mm. Um, but I think it was Fort Johnson Horton. Well, um, yeah. I will I'm I, go off and look it up now. <laughs> My next guest today is a man who has had an extraordinary life as a bookmaker and has been steeped in both the greyhound industry and the horse racing industry for well over four decades. But he will always be most famous for being the man who stood to lose when Frankie de Tori rode the Magnificent Seven 25 years ago. He was braver than all when it came to that final Mount Fujiyama crest who came home and he lost a personal fortune amassing around £1.4 million. But he, he used that pivotal moment in his life and career to rebuild that career and became one of the best-loved television faces working with BBC and Sky. And he is still applying the trade that he knows and loves best, uh, standing at Chelmsford City, amongst other places, and just recently went back to Ascot for the first time to stand in that pitch since 1996. He is, of course, Gary Wiltshire. Gary, great to have you in the Luck on Sunday studio. Yeah, good. Good morning, Nick. Fantastic. Thanks for inviting us. 25 years old. It doesn't seem like that, does it, at all? Unbelievable. So you, there's been a, a very eventful life <coughs> subsequent to the, the Magnificent Seven. Fantastic. But to what extent... Did that day completely define you? Has it completely well, defined you? Well, I thought you? it was a day that made racing, and also it made me, it made Gary Wiltshire, because I was only a very, very small bookie. That day, I remember, I shouldn't have even been there, Nick. I was on my way to Worcester, and I lived in Little Allwood at the time, just outside Buckingham. Had a lovely house, you know, ex-training. Uh, Dudgeons used to train there, Sandy Dudgeon, and it was opposite the point to point, quite a Little Allwood point to point. And I was like a little J.P. McManus saying, one day I'm going to buy that house opposite. And I was only a barrow boy, remember, because my mum and dad was in the flower game in Level Lane Market in Oban. And my first experience of bookmaking was point to points, mm. which we was only just saying at Tweezel Down and all the shots. And I, I loved you know, I loved it. And uh, that day, I, you know, there was a big traffic hold up on the M40. So instead of doing a right, I rung up my clerk who lived in Swindon, Peter, out. I said, Pete, 
we ain't going to make it for pitches. I said, tell you what we do, let's go to Ascot. It looks a really hard card. I think my float I had as a player, what I had was maybe just under three grand. And I said, if we can go and win three or four hundred quid, we'll get a day's work. It looks really tricky, the card. And he said, yeah, all right then. Anyway, he went one way up the M4. I turned up, went up the M40. Never, still never had a pitch at Ascot that day. In them days, you couldn't buy pitches, Nick. It was from... you. It was handed down from if granddad died, the son had it, if not the grandson, the daughter, if you love it. The only daughter who got it was uh, Anthea Redfern, who Bruce, uh, Bruce, Bruce Forsyth was married yeah. to. Yeah. And uh, that day I got there, and well, I think we, we, you've got to be there an hour before the race to get the pitching. We got there about 50 minutes before, and I said to Pete, oh, we're all right, Pete, there's two empty pitches at the end of the row. And uh, we got on. First five races, very quiet. There was, when I mean good bookmakers in them days on the rails. You had Victor Chandler, always beautiful suit and love, you know. In them days, bookmakers, you looked down, Nick, and you looked at them and thought, oh, like I was as a kid, I used to love, I'd love to be a bookmaker. They were suited and booted, they were beautiful, you know, proper. Not now, you go to the race course now, they're wearing jeans, it's ridiculous what they do now, what they allow. And we got on that day. The first five, I think the first five races, I was winning about three or four hundred quid. Which, like, and then all of a sudden, I smelt it out. After decorated here, I won the fourth race. I said to Pete, if the next one wins, faithfully, we've got a chance here, Pete. And he was looking at me and thinking, but don't forget, I've been bought up buying flowers, buying boxes of roses from Covent Garden Market for whatever, and trying to double my money. I had a flower shop in Grazing Road opposite the Sunday Times. Uh, Valentine's Florist, and I was a not a wheeler, you know, but I always in my mind thinking, can I get a few quid here? Can I get a few quid here? And uh, anyway, when Lock Angel, I pray to God, Lock Angel, I win the sixth race. I know, it's, Pete said, "You're going to stand it." I went, "Don't be silly. We want it to win. We're desperate for this horse to win. If this wins, we're made." All right? And he looked at me. Anyway, all of a sudden, when Lock Angel won the sixth race, I think I was still winning. Not a lot. Might have been winning. Two, three hundred quid with the X's, I'd be level. And then I thought, here's your chance now. Here's your chance now. Food your arm request. I had, I had horses myself with David Wintle and yeah. Norman McCauley. Bred horses. I had my odds, what I bred, same as my number plate and everything. If I had a bad horse, David always, the late David Wintle, he always used to say to me, we'll put a, bit of, put a pair of blinkers on it, gal. In my, how many horses, Nick? You're a top, top man in the racing game, I respect you. How many horses have won classics wearing blinkers? Can you think of many? Not many. Not many. I mean, Secretariat and Northern Dancer, as John Gosden will famously tell you, both wore blinkers, but that's the other side of the pond. Not many. Right? Not many. And Lascargo Grand National, that was the biggest sort of all cycle. Viking remember. flagship used to wear blinkers. Viking flagship. But I thought, this is my chance here, Nick. The last race, you know. And uh, I know it was a 16 to 1 chance in the morning. I had a quick look up, blinkers. Ooh, lovely. You know, anyway, the first bet I laid. Uh, I was on the rails, and that few day, horses have won ordinary old handicaps at Ascot and blinkers, though. Go. Yeah, but not classics. You know, I know this was only, uh, but in my mind, this was money for nothing. Nick. Mm. You know, this was my. Don't, yeah, don't forget, I was very, very small bookie. You know, went there with no money, about three grand. That was me float. Anyway, all of a sudden, first bet, calls come up. The big, it was all, it was, you know, there was all because in them days there weren't many mobile phones as well, Nick. No. Nope. You know, and the rep from Coles come up. Never forget, lovely chap, Ralph Leverage. Gary, what price are you the favourite? I said, what price are you taking? He said, nine to two. 
right? I thought, well, nine to two, the 16 to one chance. I said, what do you want? 40 grand at nine to two. And bear, bear in mind, all these bets I'm giving you, on the book that come out after that, uh, well, I forget what you called it now, my first book that come out, uh, my mind's gone a bit now, on the back page of that, it's got every bet, it's got the Coral's actual, what they send you, the statement. 40 grand at 9 to 2 was the first bet, 180 to 40. Nick, I've got three grand in my pocket. I've laid north to lose £180,000. Anyway, Nick, all of a sudden, all the reps were coming up. What price, what price, uh, Fujiyama go? Uh, 4 to 1, 80,000 to 20, bet. What price, Fujiyama? 7 to 2, 140 to 40. Big ones again, Coral's, 40 grand. Then I laid a 50 grand at 3 to 1. Bear in mind, I never took one bet on that race to any of the public. It was all office money for the shops, mm-hmm. running up money. Mm-hmm. They was they was banging up, yeah. trouble, and they wanted to get as much money as they could on it. And near me was a bookie called Stephen Little, who I think is one of the top bookies, and I've respected them all. They say you don't get bookies that ride a bike. Well, looking at me, I've never had one strong enough to take <laughs> me. But Stephen Little, if you can remember, Nick, he used to come on a bike, didn't he, to Bath and places. Yeah. And he'd come up to me, Stephen, I think it was 11 or 4, and he said... Uh, uh, 55,000 or 20 going off. Thought, what are you doing back in an old statement? 20 grand at 11 or 4. I said, Steve, you're a bookmaker. You should be standing all these bets. And he just walked away with his fur coat on. I think, you know, what he used to wear, yeah. didn't he? And, uh, and then it went on, and then we laid another bet, 9 or 4, and then I was laying bets 9 or 4. Anyway, the actual take at the time was 660,000 I took out of it to lose 1.4 million. And the SP of the horse was two to one at the end. And the only thing is, if the race would have been delayed, if an horse played up at the start, I think I would have, well, what I did, I just lost it. I never went there, Nick, in no intentions in my body to play like that. But when I laid that first bet, I was gone. I was absolutely gone. My head, yeah, 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 yeah. Were you, yeah. How, how, how intoxicated were you by the whole experience? I just, uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable, Nick. Unbelievable. I'd done after a BBC show with Stephen Nolan, from uh, who does his own show. Yeah. And uh, it was on uh, from Manchester from Media City on Five Live. Mm-hmm. And his words were when he was sitting there, and he went to me, and he's not a racing man, Stephen. Stephen Nolan, he's a very, very good broadcaster. And he said, "I'll tell you what you did." And I said, "Go on. What did I do?" He said, "In every large person." or a word I don't really like people calling every fat person, he said to me, there's a thin person trying to get out. And he said, on your mind that day, you stood on that box, you thought you was at, on the end of the pier, you was at the end of the pier, and you was a comedian. Once you started, you couldn't stop. You, it's just what you said, it, the emotions just took, out, took it away from me, Nick. And it did. I never went there. No way in the world would I went there and wanted to do that. If I'd have won a grand or two grand, I lived in a lovely house. You know, the house was worth a lot of money in them days, you know, which had to be sold. But it was just one of them. One of, I, the emotions took over for me. You know, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. But you're un- unlike, dare I say, a lot of bookmakers now, you are, by tradition, a gambler. Always been a gambler. I said to John McCruick, the, the late John McCruick once, he... I was on the morning line, I'll never forget. I think you might have been on there as well at one stage. And, uh, and he said to me, uh, you're a gambling bookmaker. 
like that. And I went, John, all bookmakers are gamblers because we lay bet. Not now. Mm. Not now. You've got exchanges. You go to races now. I would say 60, 70% of the bookmakers, they take the bets. They press a button before the race. It's called a green up button. And if you took 600, they'll get 60 pounds, 70 pounds, 80 pounds for nothing. And that's what bookmaking is now. It's not bookmaking. But in them days, I always thought I was good with figures at school. I was very, very good. I got two, nearly got two O levels at school, and one was for finding fish and chip shops, and one was for finding <laughs> betting shops. But you know what I mean, Nick. But in my life, I was very good at maths all my time, and I thought that day, twenty-five years ago, I had a chance. Well, I never thought I had. I never thought I had a chance. I knew this was my time. And in many ways, even though it had a an immediately unhappy conclusion for you. It was your time. It's been it was time. your time. It's been my time, you know. Even only this morning, I said to the friend of mine, I tried to find the studios, and he said, I said, what, what are you doing? I said, I'm with Nick Luck on his programme. He went, you've had a bit of mileage out of that girl, haven't you? <laughs> and he's right, he's right. But this week, I've had everyone. Bruce rung me up, uh, you know, our boss here, and he said, will you come on and everything? And I, I was, at, as I said, I was at Ascot Race Course on Friday, with Sky Sports taking, I've had all the press on all the week, which I refuse to do. I refuse to do the press because they've had it for long enough and I wanted to give you, you know, the, the full story, what happened that day. A lot of people said that Michael Tabor, JP McManus financed me. They told me to lay it and everything because I was only a very... F- but that ain't the truth. I played with my own money and, you know, you know the, what happened that day. But... Uh, Took me a few years, a few years to pay everyone out, but I did it, Nick. I'm sort of intrigued because, as you say, you you had a nice life, you had a comfortable life, beautiful life, yeah. But w- was it not strange for Stephen Little and Ralph Leverage from Corals to be coming up to you and having bets of that size? They were desperate to get on. How confident could they have been in your ability? to stand those bets, given given your standing. That's my point. Now you're saying something here. What happened on the Saturday night when we all know Frankie won the winner? I was going to Milton Keynes Dogs that night because I had a pitch at the dogs there. My son Nicky was the bookie. Mm. I never told anyone when I got in there. I said, All right, Nick. He said, Oh, we've had a bad start, Dad. We've done £17 on the first race. And I thought, Little <laughs> do you realise where we're going to go from here, Nick? You know. But I went back on the Sunday to Ascot, right? And this, I never, it never hurt me on the Saturday. I think what it is when you, you know, if you, had an operation, they give you plenty of morphine or whatever, and you don't feel it, do you, the pain? Mm. On the Sunday, I went back there, to the as I got there, Sue Barker for the BBC, and I think it was Graham Rock, who was the fantastic, he was the BBC betting expert. He was then, yeah. Who we, unfortunately, we lost another great, great name of the game, and uh, she said to me, what had happened today? And I said, oh, I hope we don't ride many winners today. I said, we will be in trouble. I stood there for four races, Nick. I never took one bet. People was going around, fellow bookmakers, what you just said, saying, don't bet with Wiltshire, he won't pay. He won't, he can't pay. Because he's, he's He finished. can't pay, he's he hasn't finished. got the money to pay. Don't bet with him, if you back a winner, you ain't going to get paid. Four races I lasted, had Pete with me clerking, got back to the car park, and uh, I'd be true if I did cry. I never cried on a Saturday, and I got in the car and I thought, so what am I going to do now? How am I going to get out of this? No one's going to... You know, I was brought up like, if you owed any money in London, you paid. If you never paid, people come round and made sure they got it off you. You know, and I was brought up as a kid in the, you know, whatever, won a bit of credit in the flower game in Covent Garden Market. If I had £200 worth of flowers on a Friday, I used to pay them on the Monday. 
if I'd done well the weekend at the point or the dogs. If I never, could I hold that over to the following? For, yeah, of course you can. Wilkie, they used to call me. Wilkie, you know. And, uh, and then on that Sunday, Nick, I would give that to no one. 